Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program and thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And uh, I trust that you are being blessed uh, as we continue to share. We're going to try to uh, finish up the book of Revelation in the next several weeks. We've been teaching it now for over 100 weeks. 100, I, I've lost count of it. But I believe I was born to do this, and I believe that we have given an alternative view to a lot of the uh, views that are out there. We're not trying to fight anybody else. We really aren't argumentative in the sense of trying to be argumentative. But I believe that the book of Revelation promises us a built-in blessing simply for reading it and understanding it. And when you realize that most of the events of the book of Revelation are not some futuristic events that are yet to come that have to deal with Iran, Iraq, or the Middle East, or the United States government, but was relevant to the people alive and well when John wrote that to seven churches that were really in Asia, it would have some relevance to them. The fact that this book of Revelation uh, and the battles are fought with horses ought to tell us something that was first century. Uh, secondly, all kinds of uh, time texts are in this book. He will say things in chapter 1 like, These things are about to shortly come to pass. Those which pierced me will look upon me. Uh, that even in the end of the book of Revelation, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. And I believe we've showed you over the last 100 and some weeks how this is relevant to a first century church. Now, I, I, I grant you it carries with it prophetic overtones. In other words, although we're dealing with the harlot of Revelation chapter 17 and 18, there's a lot of harlot systems clear down to today when we see a religious system uh, that moans and groans and gives you what you think will thrill and chill you because the money's right. Uh, we, um, we're, you know, uh, and I, but I, I don't want to get into a lot of that, but it has, all, uh, you know, prophetic overtones. In other words, it's like the finished work. The cross Jesus said is finished, but it has ongoing results. Uh, and, and, you know, in other words, he did it once for all, but once for all hasn't been experienced by every man yet. So uh, as we receive those things, then it becomes relevant to us as well. But when we understand that the judgments and catastrophes, I've shared with you how the trumpets, and the vials and all of these things that are poured out and the judgments of God are in fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied in the book of Luke where he said these be the days of vengeance that all things might be fulfilled uh, that, that, that all things might be fulfilled. In other words these are the judgments that came upon an apostate Israel. Why is that and why would he call them the last plagues? It is because to the book of Revelation is to, twofold. It is both the great and terrible day of the Lord. To the believers, it's a great day. Uh, for, for, for the believer that was standing there, it was, listen, lift up your head, your redemption's drawing nigh. Redemption from what? Redemption from an old covenant paradigm because God was about to dismantle that system which was now obsolete because the sacrifice of Jesus had made it absolutely obsolete. And so in the, in the, the transition of this, God is keeping His end of the covenant bargain which He promised them in the book of Deuteronomy that all these plagues will come upon you if you don't keep all the words of this law. God gave Israel every opportunity to repent. He gave this great city every opportunity to repent and even said to them, He wept over them and said, I, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that killed the prophets and stoned them that are sent to you, I would have gathered you under my feathers. Uh, as a hen doth gather her chick, but you would not. Therefore, that upon this generation will come all the blood of the, right, of the martyrs from the blood of Zacharias to the blood of righteous Abel. 
And uh, I think it is incredible that in the beginning of the trumpet sounding in the book of Revelation, that the trumpet sound as a result of the martyrs under the altar crying, uh, How long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us? And so uh, they're crying for vengeance, and then, of course, the trumpets begin to sound and the vows begin to pour out because God was avenging the blood of the martyrs and all of those things. Let me just read uh, from uh, the book of Revelation, the 18th chapter, and uh, uh, we've already did the 17th chapter, and we talked about how that the judgment came upon them. We showed you who the ten... Uh, the ten uh, kings were that would hate the whore and make her desolate, burn her with fire. We showed you the seven kings. We showed you the five that had fallen, the one that was at that time now present, and the judgment that would continue to fall upon this apostate people and that uh, would burn her with fire to fulfill and to, uh, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and degree and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. That particular verse, that's the last verse of chapter 17, is in fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied, that the beast would wear out the saints and that the saints would be given into the hands of the beast until a times, times and a half times, or until a judgment would set. The judgment was now coming upon this apostate people, and he goes on to say that uh, the judgment would set, and they would take away their dominion, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven would be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So that season when they had put it in their hearts to agree and give their power to the beast was the season that the beast wore out the saints. But we are rapidly coming to the end of this judgment, and you're going to see in chapter number 19, he's going to say, after this great harlot is judged, you're going to hear him shout, Hallelujah, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. And he goes on to say, his bride has made herself ready and a marriage takes place and a consummation that, you know, we're not going to get married to him one day. We should already be married to him and be living like Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ with full authority to use his name and to exercise the dominion that he gave us to operate in. So that's, I mean, you know, I see that powerfully fulfilled. Now, chapter 18 is where we're going to launch from today. It says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the age of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed witch through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice uh, from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sin, that you receive not her plagues. Now I want to just say uh, that, first of all, Jesus uses the terminology uh, when he speaks to uh, the apostate Jews and the religious leaders of his day. Now see, Revelation says that Babylon, which the great city Babylon, we have showed you why and how we believe it, 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 uh, it relates to, it's a mystical term used to describe this apostate city of Jerusalem. We've already established why that is. Go back and watch the last two segments. But uh, he said it's become the cage of every... Uh, unclean spirit and ever uh, it's, it's, it's become the whole habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, I want to say to you that first of all, Jesus looks at the religious rules of his day and he says, "You're a generation of vipers. You're of your father, the devil." So, Jerusalem has now become 
if you will, it has now become the habitation of devils. It's become the hold of every foul spirit and the carriage of every unclean and hateful bird. I think it's interesting that he says in uh, Matthew 24, uh, wherever, they said, where, Lord? And he said, wherever the vultures are, uh, that's where, uh, wherever, the, wherever the carcass is, that's where the vultures will be gathered together. Uh, the vultures or the eagles are the insignia that was on the uh, staff of the Roman uh, the Roman insignia was that of an unclean bird. So now the Romans were inside of the city and they're now inhabiting and destroying the city. It's become the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Uh, for all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And we, we, we read out of Ezekiel 16. You can go back and find all kinds of scripture through this throughout the scripture where uh, Israel prostituted itself among the nations and said, But I heard another voice uh, come from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not her plagues. I wrote in my notes that all the Christians that knew the prophecy of Jesus, when he said, When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, let him that's in Judea flee into the mountains. I believe this was their call to come out of her, my people, that she be not partaker with her of her plagues. I, I, I think when you're, even when you're talking about touch not the unclean thing, I think God was talking about this city and this people had so become full of pollution and harlotry that it was considered to be an unclean thing. And even the fact that he says in Matthew 24, wherever the carcass is, that's where the vultures will gather. It was an unclean, I mean, you know, when you call it a carcass, it's, it, it, it's a dead thing. Uh, it says, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works in the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. Now, I think that is in fulfillment, again, of Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus said, Fill up then the measure of your father's sins. The cup of abomination was almost full. The cup of iniquity was almost full. And it, the, the cup of wrath was just about to be spilled over and poured out. And God was about to give her double for her iniquities. And uh, it says how much she had glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. She refuses to recognize that she's no longer married. She's a widow. She refuses, and one of the things that I put in my notes, and I might deal with this a little bit more uh, when I get a chance out of Romans, the seventh chapter, but she refuses to reckon the death of her first husband, which according to Romans 7 is the Adamic nature. In chapter 6 of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified, that you were crucified with Christ all through. It says, reckon yourselves then to be dead to sin and alive to God. And so God was offering this people a new covenant with a new nature and a new heart and all that went with it. So when you come into Romans 7, after you come out of Romans 6, it says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. Reckon ye yourselves then to be dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 7 starts out by saying, uh, Wherefore, my brethren, let me see if I can get that very quickly for you uh, because it would make it a whole lot more sense if I could just read it. Romans 7, verse number 1 says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. 
For the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And so what she's saying here is, is that we've, we've used this scripture in Romans 7 to make it sound like it's just talking about divorce and remarriage, which it is to some degree, but the fourth verse tells you that we should be married to another, even to him who's raised from the dead. So if we are married to Christ, then we need to recognize that if that, uh, that, that if we're married to Christ, then our old man, our old nature, Adam, the old man, has to be dead. If he's not dead, then we can't be married to Christ. If we do, Christ and us is an adulterer. But when he goes on to tell you, see, the, the old covenant keeps you connected and married to the old man. The old covenant was given to the old man to get him to try to behave. The new covenant is given to the new man and to the new creation. Now, I think that what Jesus did was he came, wrapped himself in human flesh, and died as us to destroy our old man so that we could be married to him. So when she's not, when she's not reckoning the death, of, she says to herself, I said as a queen, I am not a widow. In other words, my first husband, Adam, is not dead. Therefore, I cannot be married to Christ. But what she does is then even, even in the crucifixion of what happened on Calvary's cross, another way to look at that is Jesus became uh, sin. He became my old man. He became my old husband. He became who I was in Adam and suffered the death of the cross not to give me a life. He didn't die to give me life. He died to give me a death. He died to give us a death to who we were in that old creation so that we could be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. So in one sense of the word, this woman in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 has killed her husband. She literally crucified the Lord of glory. But the reality of it is, is when you see that Jesus died as who we were in the old creation, then it frees all of us, whether Jew or Gentile, individually to become married to Him so that we can bring forth fruit unto God. I hope that's clear to you, that the old covenant dynamic uh, has freed us. We, we are free because of the death of our old man. We are free to be married to another, even to him who's raised from the dead. And when chapter 17 and 18 and chapter actually 19 opens, it's going to say, hallelujah, now has come salvation. And we're going to talk about this marriage. We're going to talk about this bride. And we're going to talk about that the fact is this marriage is not somewhere in your future. This marriage has already occurred, and we should be living like a wife right now. Now let me go on down through here because it says that uh, he told her to come out of her, my people. And then she, she sets as a queen as no widow. Verse number 8, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And see, that's exactly what happened in 70 A.D., is that she was burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. 
the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk, scarlet and all thy fine wood and all thy vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious woods of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. The fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which are dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold, precious stones and pearl, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company in the ships and sailors and as many as are trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto the great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, the great city wherein were made rich, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And I believe that that was in fulfillment again of Matthew 23, that connects this again to this great harlot being this apostate Jerusalem, because he said that in you was found the blood of all that were slain, the blood of the prophets and apostles that were slain. And they are now, these apostles, he says, rejoice over her. Rejoice over her destruction. Thou heaven and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. It was fulfilled that the days of vengeance were now just about to come to conclusion and be completed as this harlot city is destroyed and removed off of the scene. And the merchants that were made rich by the delicacies of all the things that are described here with the gold and the silver and the precious stones and the frankincense and, and all of the stuff that was really literally used in, uh, if you will, uh, idolatrous worship, whether there was incense or, uh, you know, the souls of men that were buying and sold and traded and the people's lives that were constantly being manipulated and ruined by the hands of a corrupted religious system that would prostitute them. You know, even down to when Jesus comes on the scene and he walks into the temple and he turns over the money changer, he said, you've, you've taken my father's house, which was meant to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. I mean, this city had literally become the habitation of devils in the hold of every foul spirit because they were buying and trading and selling and manipulating on, you know, and, and see, you can see this whole spirit of harlotry carry over into even our modern day uh, systems of religion because they are harlots, all right, but the mother of harlots, see, that's the key here, is that this is the mother of harlots. Every other harlot religious system has sprung out, uh, I believe, of wrong concepts or wrong doctrine or wrong teaching. So uh, he said, Rejoice over her, you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on. God has fully met his vengeance. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. No craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. The sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, all those are very powerful uh, 
powerful concepts. I, you know, one of the things I could do is take it back even and show you in Matthew 24, uh, you know, where he talks about two will be at the mill grinding, one will be taken, the other left. I, the millstone to me speaks of that which grinds the corn. And corn uh, always in the scripture speaks of the death of Christ because he says, except a corn of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abides alone. So when I think about eating the bread of life and the bread that Jesus was, it is us feeding on the death, burial, and resurrection of this corn of wheat that fell into the earth and died. But in Babylon, there is no sound of the millstone. In other words, there's no message of the finished work of the cross. There's no message of the redemptive work of Jesus. It's all human performance. It's all buying and selling. It's all slaves and, and souls of men and, and, and the perversions of religious systems. He said, The light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And I, I put in my text... Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, verse number 6 through 10 says this concerning again this great city. And go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands and I will do you no hurt. Yet you have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from thee the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstone, and the light of the candle will be removed. That's exact terminology that's used here in the book of Revelation. Now, I understand that this happened and occurred under King Nebuchadnezzar when the Babylonians plundered this city one other time before. But see, these parallels seem to repeat themselves in the history of this Jewish people who had now become the harlot and the great whore of Babylon. And he said, here's the deal. The same judgments that happened there in Babylon, he's now equating to this city of Babylon in the book of Revelation. And he's saying to her, hey, there's no more going to be the voice of gladness, nor the voice of the bridegroom, nor the voice or the sound of the millstone, and no more the light of the candle. I think you could also go back and, and see uh, that, uh, that uh, the candlestick was also mentioned to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. And he says to them, uh, I will remove your candlestick out of its place if you don't repent and change your mind. And one of the things that I believe that's the church he wrote to and said to them, uh, because thou hast them that say they're apostles that are not, but they're liars. And they taught you works and labor and labor and works. And he said, you did it for my name's sake, but I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. And he goes on to say, you repent or I'm going to remove your candlestick out of its place. I believe the only thing that can remove the candlestick out of its place, and that doesn't mean you lose your salvation, it just means God refuses to give you revelation and light. So there was no light in this city that's based on works and labor labor and works because that's an old covenant paradigm. And the first church in Revelation, the church at Ephesus, the first thing he told them you need to repent about. Remember the word repent means change your mind. 
The first thing you need to change your mind about is this works-based religious system because if you change your mind from this works-based religious system and do it out of a love and restore your first love, he says, then I'll give you to eat of the tree of life that's in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, the choice here is, do I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a perfect picture of the law of the old covenant, or do I eat from the tree of life? Which tree are you choosing from? Are you choosing the life of the new covenant? And I think it's incredible that when you get into the next chapters in the book of Revelation, there's not two trees or three trees in the garden. There's only one tree, and that tree is called the tree of life. Adam had a tree of life, and he chose a tree of death. But Jesus chose a tree of death, and he turned it into a tree of life. And so uh, that's the light that I want to see in this city. That's the glory that I want to see as God pours out his spirit in a bride that when we start to read about this bride, it's going to be a, a, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. It's going to be a light. It's going to be the salt of the earth. It's going to be full of influence. I believe that that church was birthed and that bride was birthed 2,000 years ago and that we need to see a return and a restoration back to the effectiveness of this city of God, which is, I believe, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. I think we've covered pretty well that the harlot and her judgments were the apostate Israel, uh, the city of Jerusalem, the great city that weakened the nations, and we've established who it was that judged her, how God brought an end to that, and we've seen, I believe, the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus. In other words, these things can be seen as being fulfilled as we compare spiritual things with spiritual things using the Bible to interpret itself. If you take USA Today and CNN and try to interpret the book of Revelation, it becomes way too subjective with all kinds of fanciful conclusions. I think we've made sense in context. Thank you so much for uh, following us and listening. Again, you can go back and watch the archive stuff or our iTunes. You can get the audio of this. But thank you for joining us every week. Tell your friends about us. Let me just take a moment to, to tell you sincerely how deeply we appreciate you and your partnership. Uh, we really do need your help, though. We've been on the air now for five years. We're getting ready to go into our sixth year of television. But without you, we cannot do it. And as you can tell, we are swimming against the tide, seemingly with some of the things we're sharing. So we need your help. Become a partner today or so seated in the ministry by calling the number on the screen. You can do it via credit card or debit card or by sending something in the mail. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ. 